Welcome to the Marriage Day Podcast. I'm Jimmy Evans. This is my wife, Karen. We're so glad that you're joining us, and we're doing a series of podcasts right now on God and money, talking about money, how this relates mm-hmm. to marriage, how it relates to you individually. And let me say, the, the message that you're going to hear today on this podcast is the most important message I've ever done. 40 years of ministry is the most important message I've ever done on money and how to understand money from a biblical perspective. I promise it will really help you to understand how you should deal with money and what the Bible says about it. And the most common way that people deal with money is actually not in a biblical way. This is something that helped us tremendously. And we have a couple of questions. Now, if you want to submit a question to us, we begin all these podcasts by answering questions from our viewers, marriagetodaypodcast.com. And that's singular, marriagetodaypodcast.com. Submit your questions. We would love to answer your questions uh, here in the podcast. <laughs> so, Karen, I think you have a question to start out with. I do. It's a big one. My boyfriend and I are about to take next steps and can't seem to get on the same page about money. He and I are very blessed financially. However, he is constantly splurging on his brother and his wife on family trips since they make a more modest living. He covers complete costs travel, hotel, and all other expenses on trips for them. He has always been the fun provider for them. I think boundaries need to be drawn, and this needs to be this needs to stop if he and I are going to be get married. He disagrees and says I'm being selfish and that he should be able to bless his family however he wants to with his money. Any advice? <laughs> Don't get married. That's a loaded me. question. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, you're, you're a very smart person. Yeah. And uh, every bell and whistle ought to be going off on this thing here. Well, first of all, if you get married, it's not his money or your money. It's your money together. Now, you're single, and so it is his money. If he wants to burn it, that's his business. But you're looking at his character. And the, the purpose of dating is to see a person's character. Is this a person? Because you're going to get old. Your bodies are going to change. Your looks are going to change. Your health is going to change. But your money will grow, typically. You will grow with wealth. Your wealth will become more important as your marriage goes on. And so as your marriage goes on, how do you know it's just going to be his brother and his wife. Maybe then it's going to be his whole family or it's going to be other people. And he's saying, honey, this is my money and I'm going to take you know, everybody on a trip to Hawaii and I don't care what you say. It's a deal killer. If you and your fiance here, uh, or your boyfriend, if you cannot come into an agreement that when you get married, it's your money together. And I don't think it's wrong if you uh, talked to your a boyfriend, then your husband, and you said, hey, let's take a trip and let's help so-and-so. You know, they need our help a little bit like this. But what you're saying is basically he just considers himself as the fund provider for his brother and his wife paying for all the expenses. And you're looking at that saying, that that's a nightmare. I mean, and you're doing exactly the right thing and extrapolating that into marriage and saying, boy, I don't want to get married to that. I wouldn't. Yes, boundaries <laughs> do need to be in place, but mm-hmm. you can't put boundaries on someone who doesn't want them. And when he says it's his money, you're, it is his money. Well, it's actually God's money. But it is his money in the sense that you're not married. Once you get married, you have to make your decisions together. And if he's unwilling to make decisions with you now on this level, it's a major warning sign mm-hmm. that he won't do it once you're married. And he, and he does not see you as an equal, and he does not respect your financial advice because I think you're you're being wise. I think your perspective is very wise in this. So that's, <laughs> that's my two cents that's there. That's awesome. Okay, here's my question for you. Here's a question for you. My husband and I are struggling right now. I'm wondering 
if we should call it quits. Karen, how did you decide to stay married to Jimmy in the rough part of your marriage? <laughs> well, definitely it was God <laughs> because it was very difficult. And my personality was introverted and shy and um, peacemaker. And so, you know, when we had conflict, it, it, I always felt like it, it was something I was doing wrong. And it wasn't until I turned to God that, you know, things began to change. And, you know, turning to God and letting Him be your support system, Him be, your, your, you know, your best friend, Him being the answer to everything. If you're, if you're relying on your husband to make you happy, you're set up for failure. Yeah. Because I realize that we both have good days and bad days, and we're not perfect. We still aren't today. But, you know, when you put God in the center of everything— everything changes. And I think that's what is sometimes for people, they just want the fix to be quick. And honestly, it takes, it takes time. I mean, you know, it takes time to grow a marriage. It takes time to deal with the issues that we come into our marriage with. And, you know, it takes patience and kindness and love and forgiveness. And so I would just say, you know, that's what I had to do. You know, I just, divorce wasn't an option for us. We yeah. never used the or divorce. Yeah. And so I just figured, you know, okay, God, we're going to have to work, you know, change me. If if he doesn't change, then change me. Yeah. And that's when things started changing. Well, it, it was definitely your uh, faith in God. Mm -hmm. You also went to Bible studies. Mm -hmm. And I remember you came back from a Bible study one time and the woman that led the Bible study was talking about praying for your husband. And mm -hmm. that's really the first time you'd heard that teaching mm -hmm. on praying for your husband. So definitely your prayers for me and definitely your faith in God. Don't give up in your marriage. 86% of divorces are for non-severe circumstances. Mm -hmm. Only 14% of divorces are for really serious stuff like abuse or adultery or something like that. If you give up before then, uh, the best things happen when you stay together is stay together and trust God. Don't give up. You may be discouraged right now, but we were, mm -hmm. you know, Karen was very discouraged early in our marriage. And, you know, we've been in two weeks, we'll be married for 48 years. And we look back on the dark days of our marriage. We're just glad we didn't give up. Mm -hmm. So we hope that that's helpful to you. We're going into this teaching now. And this teaching is called the two worlds of wealth, talking about the two different ways that people view money, the two realities in the world right now of systems of wealth, and which one you're supposed to be operating into. I promise this will bless you. Stay tuned for this. Because there are two worlds of wealth. There are two, two systems of wealth. Now listen, there's only the father system and the Babylon system. I'll prove both of them to you in the Bible. They're both in the Bible. There's the Babylon world of wealth that the Bible talks about that's cursed. And there's the father world of wealth, the father system that is blessed. You say, is money good or bad? All money in the father system is blessed and it's good. All money in the Babylon system is cursed and it's evil. And every single one of us is in one of those systems right now. I, I was in the Babylon system. All of us were born, are born into it. The Babylon system is the world's way. The Babylon system is, is and by the way, in Genesis 11, as man began to populate the earth, there's only one language, okay? There, there was just one. Men came together in the Valley of Shinar, and they came together, and here's what they said. Let us make a name for ourselves, and let us build a tower into the heavens. In other words, let us, this is humanism, let us exalt ourselves above God, and let us make a name for ourselves. Why are we standing around worshiping him? 
Let's worship ourselves. Let's make, let's make a great name for ourselves. And God came down and he said, because, they've, because they're all of one mind, now nothing will be impossible for them. So he divided their languages. And by the way, I believe the original language was Hebrew. Because I believe that's God's language. And so there was one language in the world and Babylon means confusion. And God came down there at Babylon. This is modern day Iraq. God came down, confused their languages so they could not finish the tower and they could not do what they were trying to accomplish there. The spirit of Babylon though has been on the earth ever since and God is about to judge it. Now this is Revelation 18 in the New Testament and this is talking about the judgment of Babylon, mystery Babylon. Mystery Babylon means this spirit has been in competition with God since the beginning of mankind. And it's still doing it, but God's gonna judge it. Here's the judgment of, of Babylon. And listen now to the warning given to God's people. This is Revelation 18. After these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven having great authority. And the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with, mightily with a loud voice saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit in a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her just as she has rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works in the cup which she has mixed, mixed double for her now. Listen, so God says, come out of her. Listen, her. I want you to understand something. God created us mankind in the Garden of Eden as his companion, as his eternal bride. There was a wedding in a paradise in Genesis 1 and 2, and there's a wedding in a paradise in Revelation 19 through 22, which are the last chapters of the Bible. The Bible is all about God marrying us, God creating us, but he's a jealous God. Jealousy means intolerant of rivalry. It means God wants us for himself. You say, why is God so jealous? Because he loves you so much. God would never, you would never become jealous over someone you don't care about. You're, je you're jealous over your children. You're jealous over your spouse. There's a wrong jealousy, but jealousy is a protective me mechanism that keeps your relationships the way they should be. So there's a spirit in the world, the spirit of the devil, and it's the spirit that works through money, and it's the Babylon spirit. And the purpose of this spirit is to seduce the people of God away from God by offering us everything that God offers us, security, independence, identity, money. The, the money God, the, the spirit of Babylon comes to believers saying, you don't need God, you just need more money. And God says, that is a seductress. I see that spirit as another woman in your life. An illicit relationship, fornication is the word that's used here in Revelation. I see that as an illicit relationship and I'm going to judge her. Come out of her, my people. 
Get out. I'm warning you. Get away from her because I'm going to repay her double for the heartache she's caused me by the damage that she's done to my people that I love. God is warning us here. I'm telling you right now, when you read this scripture, the Babylon system is all over the world. This is the world system. There is so much debt in the world right now, there is no way it could ever be repaid, ever could be repaid. You say, why aren't we worried about it? Because we don't worry about debt. We worship money. We're printing it as fast as we can print it. Nations all over the world are doing begging, borrowing, and stealing. More money, 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 money. Everything's about money. We're obsessed with money, and God's going to judge it. And by the way, the Antichrist rules the world through money, not through military power. In Revelation 13, it says you will not be able to buy or sell. And you won't be here if you're a Christian. You're going up in the rapture before all that happens. Somebody say amen. But here's the father system. And when you understand the father system, you understand how wonderful and blessed it is and how wonderful it is as compared to the Babylon system. This is the father system of wealth. Matthew 6, this is Jesus. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Let's just stop right there. Jesus isn't saving, don't save money and, and don't be responsible. He's saying, don't put your trust in money. You don't, you don't have to hoard up money to be secure. You have security in God. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Let's stop right there. How do you lay up treasures in heaven? By serving God and by giving to the Lord. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. And the way you send it on ahead is by serving God, by loving God's people, and by giving to the Lord. That's how you lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For neither moth nor rust destroys, for thieves do not break in steel. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wherever you're investing yourself, you'll be obsessed with that. You'll be thinking about that. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. He will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve Babylon and the Father. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you eat or what you drink, nor about your body. What you put on is not, uh, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Listen, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Jesus is saying. Which of you by worrying can have one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O of you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentile seeks, listen, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He'll give you all this stuff. If you serve Babylon, it means you're, out serving, you're, you're distracted. Uh, God is a distraction for making money. There's a competition between God and money. You can't serve two masters. If you're serving money, you'll never be able to uh, put your attention on God because wherever your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so Jesus is saying here, if you would seek first the kingdom of God, that means the rule of God, and his character, his righteousness, you would never lack for anything. Your father, your, your father, you have a father. 
And he is a loving, caring father. He's madly in love with you. You may have not had a good father in this life. You may have had a father who didn't take care of you financially or something like that. I'm saying, forgive your earthly father, but understand your heavenly father is not like your earthly father. This earthly father was imperfect. This one's perfect. This earthly father had a limited amount of money. This one's filthy rich. He owns the universe. He has inexhaustible resources and you're the object of his affection. And so Jesus is saying here, don't love mammon. Mammon's the money God. Love God the Father. There's only two worlds of wealth. There's only God the Father in Babylon. There's only mammon and God. That's all there is. There's only two choices. And all of us are living in a world. And I was in the Babylon system. It was cursed. First John 2, listen to this one. Do not love the world. The world is not the earth. The earth is God's creation. It's a good thing. The world is the system of Babylon that Satan has created to compete against God. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, listen, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Do not love the world. If you love the world, if you're in love with Babylon, you're not in love with God the Father. Now, it doesn't mean you don't believe in Jesus and you're not a Christian, you're not going to heaven. It just means your passions are not with God. It just means you're, you're dispassionate about God. You're, you're maybe bored with God. And there are people that are going to heaven that, that are worldly. I mean, there just are. And they believe in Jesus, like the thief on the cross next to Jesus. All the thief did is just recognize Jesus' lordship and he went to heaven that day. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. You don't have to be a perfect person to go to heaven. Aren't you glad we have such a gracious God? You don't have to do everything Pastor Jimmy, this Pastor Jimmy says. You can take this message today and just leave and go, I don't believe that and I'm gonna go, you know, worship Babylon. I don't know what you're gonna do, but if you're a Christian, you're a Christian, you're going to heaven. But that doesn't mean you'll be blessed on this earth. I want to be blessed here. I know I'm going to heaven. But I want to live a blessed life on this earth. And I'm saying the only thing that God will bless is the Father system. The world is cursed. It's passing, it's passing away. And by the way, right after that verse, it talks about the Antichrist. The one where it says, don't love the world or the things in the world. Well, let me, let me just give you a little, a little difference here between the Father system and the Babylon system. And then I'll close. The Father system is God-focused but the Babylon system is self-focused, the boastful pride of life. The father system is relational. It builds relationship with God and others. The Babylon system is impersonal and it destroys relationships. It doesn't build relationships. By the way, in our finances, in canonized finances, in, in this building that we're in right now, I remember when God told us to build this building. This building is a part of my relationship with God. As I walk through my house, as I look at our bank account, everything I do, it's, it's an extension of my relationship with God. And I can remember when God told us, do this and this and this and this. In Karen's, in my life, everything that we do is connected with God the Father. All of our finances are connected to God the Father. It's not like there's God here and there's money over here. It's, it's, it's personal. It, it all intertwines together. In the father system, success is based upon a spirit of dependence upon God. How to escape the Babylon system and live in the father system, and I'll close. 
The first is you have to believe that you have a perfect father who will provide for you, that God's a perfect father. Now, Jesus talked about why do you worry about clothing so much? Let me, let me tell you a story. So I, I became the pastor here when I was 29 years old, senior pastor of Trinity when I was 29 years old. And I didn't have any suits. I didn't have any preacher clothes. I was in the appliance business before. And, you know, I needed like a wedding suit and a funeral suit and a preaching suit and things like that. And so I was tempted to go charge it. We didn't have enough money to buy suits. So I was tempted to use a credit card or go to the store and, and buy uh, some suits. And I was reading a book about prayer at that time. And this book that I was reading about prayer said, when you, when you need something, pray very specifically. And, and the author of the book was giving testimonies about how he prayed and how God answered specifically. So I prayed and I, you know, if you're going to pray, you might as well pray big. So I said, Lord, I want five suits. I want five new suits and I don't want to go into debt to get them. And I pray that you'll provide for me five, five new suits. And so I, I prayed it and I continued to pray it, you know, for a month or so. And I was just believing God uh, to provide clothes for me, like Jesus said in Matthew 6. So Karen went to see her parents. We were living in Amarillo. Her, her parents lived in Dallas. And uh, she was staying with them for four or five days. And she, she came home and she was unpacking her suitcase in our bedroom. And I was talking to her. And she unpacked her suitcase. And we were just kind of talking. And she was taking stuff out. And she got to the bottom of her suitcase. And she said, oh, by the way, my dad gave you some suits. And she took out suits and began to lay them on the bed. Four suits. Uh, and she laid them on the bed. And I thought to myself, I prayed for five. <laughs> Isn't that awful? It, am I not terrible? And God loves me anyway. So, and then she said, oh wait, there's another one. And she reached over to another bag and put out another one. Five suits, listen. $5,000 Oxford suits. My father-in-law's rich, remember that. And he had many left over after that. His, his closet looks like most people's bedroom, that big. Five $5,000 Oxford suits laying away. Listen, he had never given me a pocket knife before that. He had never given me anything. And she came home and laid those. You know what I thought? He loves me. See, until you begin to trust him, you'll never know. You'll, I didn't go into debt. I preached in those suits. I did so many weddings and funerals in those suits. What a blessing. And we didn't have any money. We were just, man, we just barely made it. But by God's blessing, that's just one example of many issues. You have to begin to get out of the Babylon system. There has to be an event in your life where you begin to address God as your loving father and believe him to provide for you. Because this is what Jesus said. He loves you. He knows what you need before you need it. Have a dialogue with him and trust him. The second thing is submit every financial decision to God. Don't, don't act independently. We're not independent. By the way, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, pray this. Let your kingdom come. The word kingdom is the word basileia. It means the rule of God. Let your kingdom come. Let your will, let your will be done on earth in my life as it is in heaven. The next line says, give us this day our daily bread. Did you know that God always prays for his will? Uh, he always pays for his will. That when God gives you something he wants you to do, he'll always pay for it. God energizes what he initiates. But if you start it without praying, he's not gonna pay for it. 
And the way we get ourselves into so much trouble financially is good ideas. God does not bless good ideas. He blesses his ideas. And so we have to learn to begin to pray peace. Colossians 3 says, let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. The peace of God is one of the main ways that God leads us. Is, uh, the word it says, let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. The word rule is the word brabuo. It means umpire. It means a situational uh, guidance that God gives us. A lot of things that you're praying about, there's, it's not a right or wrong, it's a right and right. You know, what car do I buy? What house do I buy? Where do we send our kids to school? And you're praying, God, the peace of God is a profound thing. And hundreds and hundreds of times, Karen and I have made decisions solely on peace. And we'll say, you feel peace about that? Yes. We looked for a house for five years. We bought a house in Dallas two years ago. We looked for a house for five years. And we saw houses that, that we both liked. And we got in the car afterwards and we just said, we just don't feel at peace about it. The house that we bought, we walked in and looked at it. An hour later, we were signing a contract. Hey, this is Brent Evans with Exo Marriage. And I wanna thank you for listening to the Marriage Today podcast. We believe your marriage has a 100% chance of success if you do it God's way. If you enjoyed today's teaching and want to keep learning, hey, subscribe to the Marriage Today podcast and take some time to leave us a review. Your reviews help us spread the word and can encourage someone else in need. For more great marriage content, check out exomarriage.com where you can see all of our marriage building resources, articles, and live events.